Cutting for Sign with Ron Cecil and Daniel Pinterklein. The bad white men call him the devil. The Yavapai call him eyes like the sky. Okay. Ross Pino, you were born and raised in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and grew up with alcohol and drug-addicted parents. You found stability through skateboarding, where you derived uh, your strong sense of style, fashion, and music. At 20 years old, you found yourself in New York City, where you started a fruitful career as a model and actor. In 2018, you began your journey as an artist and started, painting by, uh, started by painting skulls. Your daughter would paint with you, and her free and creative spirit caused you to combine the childlike nature of what she was doing with your own edginess. As you continued to paint, you allowed your daughter to incorporate her own work and concepts into the majority of your paintings. You describe your art as shining light into the darkness, and anatomy, end-of-days theories, numerical synchronicities, and emotionally driven poetry are all incorporated into your work. While at times your work is very dark and mysterious, there is a heavy spiritual underlining throughout. Your main objective in life is to set people free from destructive mindsets and be an advocate for mental health awareness through arts and entertainment. Welcome, Ross Pino. Wow, that was an introduction. Thank you. And yeah, um, that sounds well, very well-rounded, right? Like you can't have the light without the darkness and vice versa, especially when you're um, occupying the vessel of a human being. Yeah. Yeah, well sense, said. Right? Well said. Yeah, yeah, well said. And I'm glad. I'm glad you're here. I, I, it kind of just stuck because I found you as an artist. Um, I think on accident. I didn't probably through Brian Brister is my guess because I didn't gotcha. realize I didn't realize you were connected. But I saw your art. I was immediately drawn to it and have been thrilled by it. And I've also have been trying to connect i don't know why but because you and i are from the same home state of new mexico i've been trying to seek out artists from that state and you know i mean I, there's no other way to say it but to start collecting <laughs> yeah and, yeah and totally moved by it so uh you know i think your artist journey is going to be its own cool story as well and i find your work really compelling yeah thank you yeah it was it was um it all, it all happened to kind of find me in a sense, you know, um, it was never something that I was searching for or looking for. Um, if I could say that, you know, like I grew up skateboarding and skateboarding has, you know, the culture attached to it with art and fashion and music and just all the coolest of the cool stuff. Right. So I was very, very well-rounded in what the heck was cool on the streets, you know, before, mass culture, you know, really understood, you know, I guess, or was putting that together. Skateboarders were already doing that. And so, um, I guess art has always been a part of my life, but never me actually doing it myself. So, but thank you, man. Like I'm, yeah. I'm glad that you vibe with it and I'm hoping that others, you know, vibe with it as well. Was skateboarding part of what took you to New York? Yes, actually. So, um, I started skateboarding when I was like 13 years old and yeah. sucked at it. And then, um, I had an experience where, um, 
I was smoking marijuana with uh, some friends and I was ditching school and just making a real full out of myself in like my high school years. I think I was in 10th grade at the time. Um, I got held back twice. So I was probably supposed to be in 12th grade, but that's another part of the story. Um, and I ended up having a really bad trip while I was hanging out with, uh, some friends. We were smoking some pretty heavy stuff, I, I guess, you know, which I thought I was going to die. I'm like, bam, my whole life kind of flashed before my eyes. I'm like, shit, mm. I'm going to go to hell. What kind of person have I become? Like mm. if I was to die, I'm definitely going to hell. And the only name that I could think of was Jesus. And I'm like, Jesus, you saved me. I'm going to see this as a second chance and I'm going to change my life. And that's exactly what happened. And I started just really focusing on skateboarding and getting my act together. And Mm -hmm. I attributed that all to Christ. And I kind of gave my life to him and centered my life around that aspect of Mm -hmm. God and Christ. And um, from there, my skateboarding skills started progressing. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, okay, cool. And then I got the opportunity to start traveling with the Christian skateboard ministry of Christ. And essentially what we would do is we would like go to like Christian uh, music festivals or Christian gatherings or um, events that, you know, Christians would have. And I would, I would uh, do skateboard demonstrations and then we would share the gospel afterwards in personal testimony. And during that kind of like three years phase of my life, um, we ended up coming to New York and I ended up meeting, um, my now wife, but she was, you know, just the, yeah, that all happened because I was traveling skateboarding and came to New York. And then eventually we ended up getting married. I ended up moving out here and this is what, 12 years ago now and ended up getting married and, yeah, so it was all thanks to skateboarding. Why I, I'm now in New York. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing you and I spoke at length. Uh, we usually talk to someone for twenty or thirty minutes before uh, we do one of these, and you and I think talked for an hour, hour and a half. I was like, "Damn, we should have just yeah. recorded that thing." Um, but I there was a. I took some notes, and uh, I was just looking over them before we started to talk here. And there's a lot about uh, you and your path and the way that you work and navigate life that I really appreciate and that is very relevant to what Ron and I are doing with this podcast. Um, as primarily centered around your, you were talking about making new choices in your life, uh, and recognizing cycles. And uh, I don't know if you recall that part of our original conversation, but that's a huge, I say value of mine and preoccupation of, of mine is how to do that and how to do that in a lasting way. And, you and I talked about that in financial ways and in interpersonal relationship mm-hmm. ways creatively. Um, if we could dive into that, I would, I would love that. I don't know if you have some thoughts, maybe that, that might. Yeah, totally. Well, when I gave my life to Christ, I saw it as like, you know, like a born again experience. It was that traumatic for me. Like I, I kind of dove deep into it and, um, I was 17 years old. Like what the heck does a 17 year old? I never really had a girlfriend. Uh, no, didn't have any bills, didn't have responsibility, didn't have any problems in my life. Like all, I think I had like a car and I only had to pay insurance on it and cover my gas, you know, maybe my phone bill, which totaled out to like 80 bucks a month, which is nothing. And, um, 
so fast forward, you know, coming out, out of like skate tour and traveling and stuff like that and complete freedom into I'm in a relationship five months, long distance, two months later, we get married a total of seven months of knowing each other. Um, not having any education, not having any skill sets, not having anything to finding work wherever I can, um, making minimum wage. And then a couple years later, having my son and then moving to the city, finding modeling, doing, you know, modeling and acting and finding my identity in that. And then having my daughter and all these models and all these, you know, people that I'm hanging, hanging around with all, are all super good looking and they all want to go out and party and, you know, have a good time. And it was, uh, it was then where I was like, damn, <laughs> like life is freaking hard. <laughs> like, like, and I noticed me like trying to cover up my problems with drinking, with, uh, disassociating myself with my family, with, running in any sort of direction that I can, whether it be career, whether it be, um, whatever it was, I just wanted freaking a distraction. I did not want to deal with my problems head first and my problems continue to get worse. And my mental health started to break down. And, um, I didn't recognize it at first, what was going on, but you go through the cycle enough times that this like shit, it's like a washing machine. It's like, up down up down freaking yo-yo and um i noticed that like yeah life is really not freaking easy and i need to refigure out my life because i started noticing the cycles i would do good and i would say uh yeah you know i just need to stay away from that or i need to like change this aspect of my life and then all of a sudden it would be like fucking rock bottom and then come back up and then, oh shit, why, why is the same scenario just keeps on replaying where like yeah. I find, a, I find myself drunk doing something stupid that I shouldn't be doing or getting involved in things that I know I, I'm, I should not be getting myself into. Why the heck is this cycle keep replaying itself? And once I actually saw what it was, that it was a cycle and that it was habitual and that it was, um, me joining forces with whatever it was that, um, I was like, shit, things need to change. And I just need to, because I don't have the strength right now to like battle this. I just have to drop everything. So I kind of stopped drinking for that period of time. My motorcycle was a huge, big part of my identity and all of them that I kept buying kept breaking because I would just love to like lose myself in the motorcycle which was completely God. Cause he was like, bro, like just drop everything. So motorcycles were gone. Um, I, I wasn't really booking any jobs at the time either. Um, although I had some fittings that I was doing and I was just kind of focusing on making money and providing for the family. Um, just pretty much laid down everything, kind of stopped hanging out with friends, kind of, you know, just stopped a lot of a lot of things was social media even like everything just kind of came to a halt and i'm like i need to start focusing on on some other things 
because right now my life is really dark in this period of my life or anxiety or I tried it, but like there was thoughts of like, shit, well, fucking things would just be easier if I was dead. Like, because I, I even saw like the way that I was, I was messing. I was, I was just fucking up everybody's, but everybody else's life. It was not just my life that I was fucking up. I was hurting everybody that was around me. And so I was like, I'm the problem. I need extermination. Like I just, I, life would be so much better just without me. And after me just saying, you know what, fuck it. Like, um, you're not having those thoughts. Just drop everything, reevaluate life and don't do anything. And so hold on, hold on um, one second, so Ross. after the first month, month and a half. Am I- so you were talking about, uh, hitting a bottom point and feeling like you wanted to be exterminated. Yeah. So, um, once I was like, kind of like feeling that and I, I, I knew that like, you know, that wasn't an option. Me, like, just, I guess those thoughts of me wanting to like end it, it was, it was definitely not an option. And I was just like, you know what, just don't do anything. And, um, a couple months later after not just, just not doing anything, just kind of like trying to, you know, like be a family man, doing all that kind of stuff. Um, not getting my, trying not to get myself in any trouble. Um, I saw my daughter painting and, and drawing. And I was like, really just amazed at the innocence that she had. And I wanted that so bad. I'm like, man, I just want to be a child again. You know, like life is hard. I messed up so much. Like I, I hate myself. Like how could I become this monster? And I just kind of was like, you know what? just enjoy this time with your daughter, with your family. And so I was like, yeah, let's, let's, you know, paint together. So I went out, got, got a couple like small canvases from like Michael's or something and some paints. And we started painting together and I was like drawing stalls because <laughs> that's like the only thing that I knew. I was like, uh, growing up with, you know, like skateboarding and rock and roll and heavy metal and all that stuff. It's like, yeah, that's a skull. Like you ride motorcycles. Like that's, that's what you, what you know. Um, so I like paint these skulls and stuff and my daughter would be sitting there next to me and she'd be painting like these hearts and these rainbows and these unicorns. And I'm just like, man, I love the juxtaposition of that. And I love her innocence. And I want to kind of try to take that childlike innocence and nature when it comes to painting and stuff and put it into my work. And so we started painting together and um, yeah, the juxtaposition between my darkness and her innocence and, and, and that light, I guess, was just very, it it did something to me where it was, it it was, it was telling, it was kind of like telling me a story of you can have that again, Mm -hmm. you know, like Mm -hmm. you can have that innocence back. You could have that childlike nature back. You just have to oh. unlearn a whole bunch of dumb shit that you, that you learned, you know, that was taught to you by social media and the entertainment industry. And, you know, even like the past traumas in your life and your family and all that stuff. So yeah, the cycles, they just kept going and going and going. And the only way to break that cycle is to start a new cycle. Like mm. you have to stop doing that cycle and you have to doing you have to start a new cycle so the new cycle that i was starting with my daughter and my painting in this journey was really a kind of like a rebirth again yeah. and 
Yeah. So I guess that's a little bit about what I have to say about cycles. Yeah. That's what the title of this podcast cutting for sign. What you just said would be a pretty much poster poster child (laughs) Um, example of that, you know, doing something that just happened naturally. You're painting your daughter's painting by you. Um, but then to be able to read that as meaningful or ascribe meaning to it, I think it's a skill. Um, maybe not everyone. Uh, every, I think it's a skill that is innate to humans, but maybe not everyone would have uh, the awareness or confidence or creative ability to actually do. And it was one of my favorite parts of your story is that. And mm-hmm. I think I even remember kind of a when we were talking earlier that there was one time where she drew on one of your paintings and you were like, yeah, yeah you just kind of screwed my painting up in your head at least. And then, yeah. but then that was one of the steps toward you actually incorporating some of them. It's a great moment. <clears throat> I remember that, you know, very, very detailed. She, she definitely was like, she, <laughs> I would leave like some of my, my my papers out, and then she would like go over them, and I find them, and I'd be like, "What the heck?" I was like, "Hold on, wait. I actually like print on it." Yeah. Uh, you know what? You're breaking up pretty good again. I'm breaking up again. Dang. Man. Thanks Three for locations. Yeah, dude, we're doing it. It's happening. Yeah, so you were talking about essentially your daughter drawing on your stuff and and how her uh, being by you and doing art with you really influenced your work and but but also it influenced sounds like it influenced literally how you wanted to be. I have a note from our first conversation that just says like you wanted to become more childlike and obviously. Um, and then some of our other discussion was uh, ways that you are getting your life together that would be way more like adult-like. And that that juxtaposition and that wholeness of, of being, of a way to be, being more adult in some ways and more childlike in other ways is, again, something that I've just noticed in myself has been very valuable to, to a lens with which to look at myself or through which to, through looking, uh, through I that I would look at myself through that has been extremely helpful. Um, I would love to hear more about that. If that's something that you like really are incorporating. Yeah, totally. So, um, growing up, I always like thought that I'm not going to like put on the, the shoes that my parents put on. Right. And so, and, and especially having like that kind of like experience where I gave my life to Christ, like me getting myself into all this, I guess, sin, or becoming this monster, um, or, or this bad guy, essentially, you know, like, um, it didn't, it didn't sit well with me. Like it actually, it broke me so freaking bad to the point to where I did not know who I was anymore. Like it was, it was like, how the heck could I be this person, you know? And, and I, I kind of battled with it, you know, a lot for, for a really long time until I kind of read that story uh, in the Bible of uh, the prodigal son and how the the prodigal son returns to the father's house um, after he kind of like took all of his inheritance and, and squandered it in a far off land. He wanted just to come back to his father's house and be a, 
and be a slave in his house, but the father welcomed him back. And that really, that story really broke me. Um, it broke me hard because I was like, hold on, wait, like there's hope for me, you know, like there's hope for a, a person like me that went from innocent and things, you know, you know, take well taken care of and good character. And I could come back to the father's house. I can, you know, I guess redeem myself in a sense. And that gave me hope to hope for the future um, and vision for the future, you know? Um, and so that was kind of like my story. I, I held on to that so dear. I was like, okay, I'm the prodigal son. Like I, I have not went too far to where I can't come back to God and come back into my innocence and, 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 and forgive myself and become that child again. And so with the help of just kind of like, um, I would say, yeah, like just me and my daughter, like, you know, painting together and doing those exercises together and, and me really just kind of like putting all, all this stuff that, uh, was keeping me ego driven and bound to this identity of this bad boy rebel with, you know, um, I guess all these desires of my heart that really didn't line up with kind of the person that I wanted to be in life. Um, they all had to be cut down. Um, Can you give us an example of that? Like, like, what is that? What is, what would that look like on a, you know, a a day-to-day basis? I mean, is that like you spending money on the motorcycle instead of your kids or like you going on a bender? Like what, what does that kind of look like? Yeah. So, um, I would give up a lot of my nights so I could just go hang out with friends, you know, and go drink and ride my motorcycle and do that kind of stuff. And there was a lot of nights where I wasn't present. There was a lot of nights that I was present, you know, so I was, I thought I was, I had like a balance going, Mm. but, um, you know, whenever, whenever you're doing things that are just super selfish, like your, your mind wants to highlight those things and bring them to the forefront because you're you feel like you're failing in a lot of different ways and i i do believe that i i I am a good father a good husband you know to to a certain extent but there were certain things in my life that i was just compromising that i did not want to compromise on anymore and um certain things in my life i had to cut off cut out cut down completely kind of like the motorcycle which was then reborn into my life but at a, a, a later time or um my drinking that completely had to get cut, cut out of my life, but which was reborn, but not, not to the point to where it's like, um, it's, it's more self-control rather than just a complete removal of something. Um, I do believe in both forms sobriety. And I do believe in like just self-control self-control is definitely a lot harder, um, than just removing something from your life. You can remove something in your life and, you could, you could do it. You you can me. I always told myself I was going to quit doing something and I always felt right back in, if not 10 times worse. And so I was like, I just need to learn self-control. That's the fruit of the spirit. Right. So mm-hmm. I was, um, just a lot of things in my life, like me just spent forcing myself to spend more time and be more present with my family, with my kids. And, um, and then that whole discipline of me, Re- reincorporating new things in my life because I had a lot of free time now, you know, to like do things. I could be on social media. I could be playing video games. I could be in the house, just the same, the same mindset as I'm like not even present, but like 
being consumed with something else such as video games or whatever it was right um even even painting could you know do that and essentially if i wasn't kind of doing it with my with my family while i was you know just home time and so reincorporating things into my life that needed um that that kind of just needed to bring that family bond back together and that was kind of just painting for me and my daughter uh it's interesting that you bring up um, like uh, essentially sobriety and removing things from your life. And I, I recently had, I've been looking more at my own life through a lens of recovery lately, mm-hmm. but I don't have an addiction that is like alcohol or narcotics. Um, but I have noticed in life that I have an addiction to certain emotional patterns. And one of my like values, not values, but the ways that I see the world and one of my sort of personal beliefs is that we're like really ruled by our emotions and maybe particularly men. Um, and I noticed I was like bullied by my emotions and my emotions would cause me to say things that I maybe didn't really mean, or I certainly wouldn't say at that time or not in that way. And then I started learning some other things, like when you get really emotional and you get in more, almost a fight or flight situation, your IQ drops and you start to see uh, the world through the lens of whatever potential trauma you might be. Uh, re-experiencing mm-hmm. too. Like that's the sort of other, the further end of it. My point being, totally that I got to a place where I was in a relationship where I was starting to be abusive and threaten the relationship. And I realized like, Oh my God, I, I had had this idea that being in a state of recovery, like, or going into recovery for several years, I was like, would hear people who were in recovery. And I thought, and I would, I could really use that, but I just don't really have anything to recover from. And then as I've learned more, I realized I do. And there's actually programs out there that are about emotional recovery, or like anger and things like that. And I recently had an experience where uh, uh, way beyond where I had got to a point of like anger and yelling and abusive, verbally abusive, uh, abusiveness that I thought I had was five, 10 years beyond that place. and it reminded me of what you were saying about you reaching a place where you just felt like you need to be exterminated. Like you're like, mm-hmm. I don't have anything to offer this world. Cause I keep doing this thing or being this way. And then my friend, it was actually Ron here. He, he was like, yeah, that was a relapse. You know, you relapsed. And mm-hmm. I had never thought about it in that lens, but I was having a hard time forgiving myself. And this is all very recent, by the way, I'm not talking about something that happened a long time ago. And looking at that experience that I had through a lens of like recovery and addiction, it was like a relapse. And then, you know, Ron was saying relapses happen and they don't mean that, you know, all is lost. And it kind of, not as much the relapse part of it, but uh, kind of what you're talking about reminds me of a lot of what I've been experiencing recently. And I admire that you could do that. And what, what's interesting is it seems like you're also reaping the rewards and benefits of having experienced that a couple of times in your life. Well, I'm glad that you brought that up because, um, man, I've relapsed in every single area of my life. It not, yeah. not only like I, I come from a broken home, right? So like I have emotional trauma, I have 
mental trauma. I have physical trauma. I have all sorts of trauma and then a whole bunch of trauma that I dumped on myself, um, just out of my own bad character. Um, and dude, yeah, whenever you're like going through like all of that trauma and these burdens are, you know, weighing super heavy on you and just compacting and compacting, compacting, uh, you don't, it's not a pleasant feeling. You do want to die because it's, it's such a heavy burden for you to carry. And you don't feel like you're going to be, you know, ever seeing the light. You know, you don't, it's, um, I, I like to give this analogy. It's kind of like a, uh, uh, an oyster that, um, gets a little grain of sand within it. Um, that oyster, it gets irritated and that irritation over the course of the oyster's life, it, it starts to, you know, um, roll that little grain of sand. And eventually years later, that little grain of sand becomes a pearl. And that's the irritation in life. That's the tribulation in life. That's the fire, the, the fiery trials of life that, um, you know, create something beautiful. And it's the over and over and it's the cycle and cycle. And it's the relapse and relapse mm-hmm. because every single, every single bad experience, every single bad trip, every single um, relapse, every single bad thing that ever happened to you in your life. Um, it's, it's a moment where, you learn something new about yourself right. where you learn how to either, like you said, fight or flight. You're either going to run away from this problem continuously, or you're going to start doing, you're, you're going to use the brain that God has given us to uh, problem solve. Like us as, as, as human beings, the number one thing that we were created to do was to solve problems, to create, to figure out, you know, how to, you know, get from, point A to point B or point A to point Z even, you know, and the people that are very, very good at problem solving, they're the ones that excel in life. And so I, I had to come to a point in my life where I was like, you know what, I can't do this anymore. And I understand I can't do this anymore. But if I continue walking in this direction blind, then I am going to continue making the same mistakes that I have been making because it is habit. I have to just drop everything and give myself a break for a little bit and have new thoughts and have, you know, see the world, see the world from a, do, a new lens. And um, that's kind of why I reinvented myself at such a late age. I, I was like 30 years old when I reinvented myself. I was doing modeling. I was doing acting. I was making a lot of money. I was, you know, riding my motorcycle at what cost? My family was deteriorating. My, my whole, you know, being was deteriorating. And so I was put in a spot where I was like, you know what? I have to reinvent the will here. And Mm. that's exactly what happened. And I didn't know where I was going. I just knew that I started seeing synchronicities that were kind of like guiding me with Mm. like numbers and stuff that like, you're on the right path, like keep going, kind of cheering me on. And, and I wasn't doing the same stupid things that I was doing before I wasn't hanging out the same stupid people that I was hanging around with before. And to be honest, those people were not even stupid that we were on this. We're in the same exact boat. I was a stupid one. Because I, mm. I, I, I was given the signs over and over again, year after year after year after year after year, like, bro, you probably shouldn't be doing this, but eventually you're going to get caught doing something stupid. And um, that, that's kind of what happened to me about like three years ago, too, was um, I was I was driving drunk. I've, dr- I've drove dr- driven drunk a couple of times. But this time I was with a friend and we went out drinking and he was too shit faced to drive. I ended up getting behind the wheel because I was like, well, I think I could get us home. I ended up getting pulled over in his truck, his work truck. If he would have got pulled over in his work truck, he would have lost his job. He was a civil, a civil engineer. Like, 
whole bunch of shit could have ended up going really heavily south for him. And so I, I ended up getting pulled over. I ended up getting a DWI. I ended up getting a lesser charge of a DWAI because it was my first offense on record for anything. Um, but it's a, it's a lesson that I had to learn. Like, yo, eventually you're going to get caught and either, whether it's emotionally, whether it's physically, whether it's whatever it is, eventually it's all going to catch up to you and smack you in the face and say, bro, I told you to wake up a long time ago. Man, can't so, say it better. I, I personally experience yeah. that right now. And it's, it's funny too, because, you know, you can, like, I'm surrounded by a lot of really good people and I get to have conversations with people like you, you know, and like, and whenever I want, basically, and I have tons of tools and awareness and, you know, close friends and people who love the hell out of me. And it's like, it still will snowball like at least the thing that i experienced which essentially is an emotional uh uh complication with my emotions and those emotions getting triggered at times and causing me to say things that are cruel like that's essentially my bugaboo in life like if i could get that Mm -hmm. monkey off my off my uh back the sky's the limit and all the privileges that i have equal doing really good things and Mm -hmm. it's just interesting that you can be in these amazing positions in life and have all this help and then still you're confronted with the thing that that got you 10, 15, 20 years ago. It just looked dirtier and worse. You know, I mean, do you have exactly oh, you yeah, I mean? totally? Yeah. I mean, I, Ross, I'm in recovery. I've been I've been alcohol free for seven years. And but I'm not a teetotaler. Like I I still dabble in cannabis. I use I use uh psychedelics medicinally. Um, but I'm I try to really think of any of it all as like um as consciously as possible. But for me, taking alcohol off the, off the table was a non-negotiable for me. And, totally. and, um, and so, I mean, you know, the relapse thing for me is I feel like I'm in relapse when I'm emotionally unstable, when I'm like mm. emotionally unsober. And that's when anger's getting the best of me, fear's getting the best of me, anxiety's getting the best of me thoughts of want, not wanting to exist is getting the best of me resentment towards my kids or my wife is getting the best of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the voices in my head that say I'll never be a success or that I'll never rise above. Uh, I, I come from a family, um, you know, classic, uh, Western, uh, deadbeat dad, you know, like the, it, it's like ad, ad nauseum, right. Is like, is how often that is like common in the in Western culture. And, uh, I got a letter from the state of New Mexico when I was, when I turned 18 saying your dad owes $60,000 in back child support. And if you sign here, you'll get all of it. And, uh, and if you sign here, we'll forgive him of all that. And, and I remember forgive like forgiving him of that debt. Um, but still carrying this massive fear, the rest of my young adulthood that like, I am trapped in becoming him. Like I could, I felt wow. like there was, it's almost like, you know, your motorcyclist object fixation. When you're like, if you look at that telephone pole, you're going to hit that freaking telephone pole. And so mm-hmm. you're turn, you're taught to like look through turns and ta- taught to look down the road and all those other things that keep you safe. And I've had to apply that into my adult life. Like mm-hmm. I can't keep thinking about my dad. I, I Daniel called me out of, uh, on the other day. I was using some language around, repeating some things my dad he's like dude 
grow the fuck up, buddy. You know, you're, you know, you're well, 41 years old. Like, it's actually a funny one because his dad was married eight times. Right. And Ron's been married. He was married once and, and divorced. And now he's on his second marriage and he's been married for 13 years. And he just goes, I did it. I failed, you know, and I always give him shit. Like you got, you get to get divorced six more times before you fail. Man. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, Damn. Uh, tell me, tell me a bit about like what your, what's your relationship like now with your, adult parent like your adult self with your upbringing and how you view that and then also like how that how that affects you as a father now for your son and your daughter and um well my daughter's six my my son is 10 <clears throat> me growing up with my parents it was um it was it was kind of rough man like my my mom she uh wasn't really there for us all the time Sometimes we would spend like a lot of time with my grandma and my dad wasn't really there for us um, either because my mom and my dad kind of split up when I was, I don't know, I, I probably was like six, seven uh, when they finally really split up, but they were like on and off like their entire, yeah, the entirety of me growing up. And um, my mom and my dad, you know, very heavily, uh, they, they partied very heavily and um, they both were like doing, you know, drugs cocaine my dad was like doing crack i don't know if my mom was maybe i don't don't know but they were like doing like some hardcore stuff and and they would uh take me and my brothers uh to the mesa with them so they could like go and do their drugs and stuff (laughs) and i just Mm -hmm. remember like sometimes like she would go to parties and like we would have to sleep in the back of the car and it's really fucked up like we kind of like talked about it you know all that kind of stuff you know before and she she beats herself up over you know like not being like the the class a parent or or anything like that but i'm like listen you did the fucking best that you could with you know us and and yourself given like your own traumas and stuff in your life and and the things that you were you know trying to do you know raising you know three kids single pretty much um and you didn't you didn't really have an education and you were just working whatever job that you could find and so i don't have any resentment towards you my brother kind of does or he did for a while um but me and my, my mom, we have a really good relationship. I call her all the time and tell her how much I love her. And actually, when I when I got saved at 17, her whole life changed around. Mm. Um, she kind of saw the light and she kind of gave her life to Christ as well. She, mm. she saw that in me and it sparked that journey for her. Um, and, you know, I, my dad, we, 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 we started talking a lot more probably five, six years ago. But like we always had a close relationship, too. And. But now I could talk to my dad pretty much about anything because me and my dad are pretty much cut from the same cloth. It's yeah. it's crazy, scary because he has like had multiple DUIs. Like you kind of nailed it when you were saying the fucking apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. You know, yeah. like I, yeah. I'm the same exact way with my dad. And so I tell him all these stories. He's like, yo, dude, you're just like me. Like, like I'll tell him like, you know, dude, I freaking got way too drunk and I did this stupid thing. And like, I'm hating myself right now. He's like, bro, I used to wake up you know, every single weekend feeling like that and reevaluating my life. And I'm, we, so we would have these conversations and we, 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 you know, hit, you know, like a, a ground that both of us could just relate and just, we could have that relationship, that bonding, that talking together. Um, I try to keep it more on the positive side, you know, because I don't like to get that dark because I know whenever you just talk about things, yeah. you know, over and over and over again, it just, it sets that stage for, I guess the playing field where you want to go. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to start changing my language up a little bit more and start talking more positive. Nice. So I don't, you yeah. know, find myself staying in that rut. 
with my mom, I'm constantly, you know, having conversations with her too. Like, mom, I fucked up or mom, I'm doing good. This is what's happening. So I, I try to tell my, my, both of my parents, you know, the praises and the, the, I guess the, the negatives that, you know, happen throughout my life. It's fucking roller coaster all the time. You know, like they don't, they never know what story they're going to get. Thankfully, now at this stage of my life, they're getting a lot more of the positives and the yeah. more, you know, uplifting stories. But there was a time for like three years where I was just like, I'm broken. What the fuck? <laughs> like, there's something wrong with me. Like, I seriously need to check myself into rehab, but I'm not even an alcoholic. Like, I just, yeah. I do this every once in a while. It's like, but even, even those, you know, little things like that are signs to, you know, yeah. something, you know, that is, that is deeply wrong with you. And so... When you say for me, uh, I keep doing this real quick, uh, and you're not even an alcoholic. Can you just express one or explain one more time what like this would be? Yeah. So I mean, I guess essentially, like I'll be, I'll, I'll call my mom or my dad and be like, "Mom, I fucking, you know, I drank way too much, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm regretting, you know, waking up with a hangover, or I drank way too much and I, I, I drove and I don't know why I drove, you know." And these are conversations before my my DUI, I don't do that shit anymore. Like that, I don't want to mess with that anymore. Um, way too many close calls. And then that one that really got me, it, it hurt, even though I, I felt like it was kind of like a sell I was kind of like a scapegoat for my friend, mm-hmm. um, which I felt like, even though I lost huge, I still felt kind of like a winner. Um, but yeah, never anybody should freaking be out there doing that kind of stupid stuff. Like you're not coherent. You're not, you're not good enough to get behind the wheel. Um, but yeah, like stupid stories like that, right. Where, where I would like be at like a a bar, you know, or, and like somebody would like, you know, like, I remember one time, uh, um, I was, I was out with some friends and we were buying drinks and stuff. And then all of a sudden everybody kind of bailed and I was like already way past my limit. And I'm trying to check out and, um, the bill came out to like 400 bucks or something. And I was left with it. And I'm like, what? And like my cards were maxed out and I'm like, Oh, frick. And the guys wanted to try to fight me and stuff. And I'm like, Oh, you guys don't want a piece of this. And I was going to get jacked. I was seriously about to get wrecked. And it's just stupid things like that. When you wake up the next morning, you're like, damn, I really did that. You know, like this, this is, this is stupid. Why? For what? Someone recently told me that actually it was a therapist a couple of years ago, now that I think about it. And they said that alcohol uh emotionally takes the brakes off and it takes the brakes off of your mental and your emotional mm-hmm. capacities. And I that that was like very helpful. Um because I don't know, maybe thinking about like alcohol flares them up or something, like it was just more helpful to hear that it just takes the brakes off. And that's <laughs> what I've experienced is I'll have, I'll look back at all of the arguments, you know, or um, conflict that I've had with partners, you know, my last few partners. And I, I guarantee that almost every one of them was around me having like, even just a drink, you know, it's just, dude, that's, I, I mean, that's why I stopped drinking, dude. Every major wreck with my wife, like, like big blow up, the moments that I would call her things that no man should ever call another person, much less his wife. The moments yep. that I would lose, just completely go apeshit on my kids, especially my son, because my daughter was just baby then. For yep. seven-year-old, when I would be a grown-ass man intimidating, screaming at a seven-year-old boy. Like, every one of those was preceded by some amount of alcohol. 
Yep. And and that's for me the time I was like, this just doesn't get to live in my life anymore. And and I, you know, I, I used to drink a lot when I was single and and would black out a few times a week. And I had a a, a D, DUI near miss in England when I lived there for a few years. And you know, it's like I, I had close calls and like I dodged things and and many, many, many times of those like wake ups, like Friday, like barely making it to work, hung over, like my boss telling me I look hung over, like all that stuff. And mm-hmm. you know, I, those weren't good enough signs for me to like really get a handle on it. And exactly. And then it was really my my family that I was like, I there's so much on the line here. Like my kid's gonna freaking yep. hate me when he's grows up. And and everybody's got dad issues, dad issues to begin with, right? Like, like you know, all things go even. Like everyone's gonna have a rough time with dad stuff. I just thought he doesn't need more, and yep. and I'm trying to break the cycle of my own dad issues. So I'm just gonna take that off the table. And you know, I I wish I could say it was like a miracle. It kind of was. Like it it did take gave me some breaks on the, on the, on the, uh, emotions, right. It's, it wasn't all gas, no breaks. Now I had some breaks, Yeah. but then what then I also realized was like, I actually was a diet in the wool asshole who needed to learn the emotional tools on treating people with dignity on learning yep. to forgive myself. Like you mentioned earlier, Ross mm-hmm. on asking my children, my son in particular to forgive me for losing it over and over and over learning to ask my wife to forgive me learning to actually look at myself in the damn mirror with frequency and forgive myself. I grew up in in the church too, Ross, and and that's my background and went to school for that and all that stuff. But it it still made me just the most normal ass, you know, (laughs) bozo possible. But I had like a, a, a kind of a measuring tool against that. But, um, Go ahead. Yeah, uh, do, I'm curious, like, uh, you know, we're talking, I, I guess might be a little bit personal, but like you have kids and family and stuff. Do you, do you like still experience kind of some of the stuff we're talking about a little bit or how are you around that? Totally. Um, yeah, I was actually about to get into that. Um, but Ron, I completely understand where you're coming from because me and my wife had this conversation multiple times where I had to tell her, you know, some really hard shit, you know, um, and all of our blowups, you know, and we, we both came to the conclusion that, well, I, I came to the conclusion, but she also, she already knew it. She was like that, that it was alcohol that played the major role in yeah. all my major fuck ups in life. Everything that I've ever done that I could look back at and regret or have the thoughts of regret mm-hmm. were because there was some sort of alcohol involved in that. Um, and that's a really scary thought. And I thought a, a lot of times about quitting and I never actually was successful. Now I could like, you know, so, you know, drink socially. And if, if it, and, and also too, I've been, um, you said you dabble in like marijuana and, and cigarette, uh, psychedelics for me, I am now on my marijuana or my CBD journey where I, I used to have extreme paranoia and like mm-hmm. anxiety attacks when I would smoke. Cause I have just had bad trips. Then I now exactly know why, why that was because I, I started smoking a little bit to, to try to like, see why I'm so afraid of this thing or why it's creating fear or anxiety. And, and it was because it was showing me my problems. 
And uh-huh. it was like, yo, face them, face your problems. This is what you, it was laying everything out on the table. It was yeah. like, yo, stop doing this. Stop doing this. You're doing good at this. Yeah. Start doing this more. Uh, and it was showing me my life. It was like, yo, like if you just stop doing these things and you, you won't be having anxiety whenever you're, you know, so, you know, partaking with me. And so I would, I'm not trying to get stoned or blazed yeah, right yeah. now. I'm using it to just paint a little bit and just to spend more time with my family. And, and, and it's really made me more aware, like, yo, you love your family. Every single time I would have a bad trip. I'm like, oh my God, what kind of person am I becoming? Like, I'm a terrible father. I'm a terrible dad. And I always saw my actions mm. and they were all leading me down like paths of like, you know, just like desert and death and all these mm. things. And I'm like, shit, like things need to change. And now I smoke and I'm like, oh, you're doing all these things now. Yeah. You're, you're taking care of your problems. You're, you're facing your fears head on. Yeah. And like you were, you, uh, what you were asking about, like my kids and my family, <clears throat> me and my wife haven't had like the, the easiest relationship due to me, unfortunately, but she's a freaking saint. All my friends call her Santa Julissa de Queens. Her name is Julie. Um, <laughs> and the amount of times that she should have left me is stupid. Like. She should have left me a million times. Like, dude, like, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not kidding how bad of a husband or a father or not really much of a father. It was mostly like my, my husband, my, my husband skills. I was so immature. I didn't, I didn't know what I was signing myself up for. Mm-hmm. I had to learn everything. And then when I, whenever problems started coming into my relationship, I started running from them and I started blaming her for all of my problems. Mm-hmm. And I started blaming her and I wanted to run away from my relationship, but because I'm like a Christian or something like I'm going right. to be judged and like, you can't, can't leave your, can't leave your marriage. So mm-hmm. I kind of like stuck it out and just was like pretending like I wasn't married, even though I was married, you mm-hmm. know, like just stupid, stupid things. And, um, it wasn't until I actually was like, you know what, like if you're going to be in this and if you're going to, um, you know, partake in this relationship, then you have to fucking grow up, dude. You really have a lot of growing up to do and you have to forgive yourself and who cares if she forgives you she'll she'll get over it or she'll grow with you in this process but you have to forgive yourself you have to um treat her like she is the number one thing in your life and that's that's essentially what I've been practicing what I've been trying to do and with my kids i i started incorporating you know new things in their life um just trying to spend like more times with with more time with them every single day whether it's an hour or a couple of hours after school, take them to the park or, you know, do some sort of like creative thing with them. My son right now is like addicted to that video game, Fortnite. You know, most kids his age are, which I'll let him do his own thing. But like, as long as I get to like, just like interact with him mm-hmm. and be a part of his life a little bit, then I'm cool. But for, for the most part, yes, my relationship still has issues, but they're not as bad. Um, and well, my relationship with my wife and my kids, um, my kids never really so much, um, though I had to have like a a couple of hard conversations with my son because he's of age, he's like 10 years old and he questions certain things, Mm -hmm. you know, like, do you and mommy really love each other? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yes, but love is hard, dude. Like it's not all butterflies and rainbows. Like it's like whenever shit hits the fan, do you still going to love that person? You Mm -hmm. know? So it's kind of like explaining these things to him. And those are hard. Um, especially whenever he like sees me and like my, my worst character. And whenever I see certain qualities of him that are negative, that were a direct reflection of myself on him, 
Oh, that breaks my heart, dude. Because it's yeah. like, dude, like, I'm sorry. You should have never saw that side of me, man. Never. Yeah. yeah. I should have been like grown up more. Yeah. So it, it does break my heart. It's wild how kids are these like reflectors and magnifiers of who we are. And, and they really do carry on like all the parts of us that we, we would hope that don't get <laughs> to carry it on, but they do. And, and that's, I mean, my, my own experience, the, the fastest way I found through that is to acknowledge my own fuck ups with my kids, like look at them in the eye, tell them, I'm sorry, tell them what I did was wrong. Like just to name it. Exactly. And also as an adult, like as I've gotten older is to give my per- kids permission and I don't know if this is like, I, this is my way. I'm not suggesting this to anybody, <laughs> but uh, to give my kids permission to tell me when I'm redlining. Like if I'm like taking mm-hmm. things too seriously and I'm starting to redline about the kitchen being dirty or rooms being dirty or leaving trash in the car or whatever my mm-hmm. stupid little hot buttons are for them to give me permission to, to, to like interrupt. And, and I like my, that. yeah, my daughter, she's uh, eight and she's uh, eight or nine now. Nine. Sorry. Do you know her name? Yeah, her name is Emma. <laughs> Emmanuel. So it, she's the best. She's the bravest person in our family. And she's really good about seeing it happen and starting to thoughtfully interrupt. Like she'll uh, say something really funny and disarming, like, Dad, your eyebrows look great today. And mm. <laughs> just like, that's her way to. Oh, I can't be mad at that that kind of comment. <laughs> it's so, so good. Funny. It's really. When I'm, the last couple of relationships I've been in, we actually have a, a conversational safe words. <laughs> you need them, man. You need them. Like you need something to like hit. You know, it's like the button at the gas station. Yeah. When like you need that, like kind of like throw the brake on yeah. when things feel out of control and you feel it back into your car sliding out. Like you got to have something, some kind of tool. Yeah. So right now, Ross, like, um, uh, what's like, what's motivating you when you're painting? Like what's coming up for you in your spirit life and your, I mean, you've talked a lot about your, your Christian background. I've got my own crazy journey. That's like taken me into Catholicism now and, and out of other things and it's deconstructed, reconstructed, all kinds of weird stuff. And, and one thing that's kind of drew me to your art was like, there's definitely spiritual influences in there that I, I mm-hmm. find also before I forget it, I wanted, I do want to point this out. I love that you point that you use the oyster and the, and the pearl as a metaphor for our life. And, uh, and I wanted to remind you in particular and, and myself that the symbol of the pearl is so, so like so profound as the gate into heaven, the gate mm-hmm. into the afterlife, because it's the like pearly gates. the pearly gates, right? Like you've heard that phrase. Well, in, in, the, in the book of Revelation, the Revelation of John, it's actually a giant pearl. It's not like a gate made of pearl. It's like a giant pearl that you walk through into, into paradise. And I think that's significant that like the, the threshold is all the things that we've gone through is like co- yeah. the collective pain of that cycle that you said. I'm so glad you talked about that because mm-hmm. it is what creates a, what creates that pearl is resistance and irritation over time and creating boundaries around that. that's what, that's what a pearl is a boundary around the irritation. That's beautiful. Exactly. So, but I, I wanted to get into some of the symbology and some of the things that you're like, are finding like really moving for you in your art. Like what's, what's like standing out to you? What's like pushing you in that world right now? Yeah. So, um, 
in my work when I first started, obviously it was like just the skulls and stuff. Right. And then I just, I started to develop a voice because I guess of my um, upbringing with uh, the Bible and Christianity and spirituality and me even um, going through my own um, spiritual correctness uh, with um, just not, not really a fallout of Western Christianity, but me finding my own path through the kingdom of heaven. Cause the king, the Bible says the kingdom of heaven is found within. That's right. And, um, it is no longer I that increase, but he that increases. Mm-hmm. And, and essentially what that is, is it's like your highest self, the mm-hmm. Christ within you that, you know, elevates your thinking. You're going to either mm-hmm. descend into the gates of hell or the the pits of hell mm-hmm. that are within this realm as well. Could it be a, an actual place? Maybe. But um, you could also ascend into a kingdom of heaven mindset where you're manifesting things that are of the kingdom of heaven, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, things of these manner. And so when I started, I guess, developing a voice, I wanted to talk about spiritual things. Mm. And I, I, I think it was because not, not, not necessarily because I want to talk about those things, but because that was kind of what I was all wrapped up in. And, and it was a way of, I guess, God, uh, it was a way that God was talking to me through mm-hmm. these symbols, through my artwork, through me painting. Um, the whole therapy was, was not just me painting, like that's therapeutic, but it was like the, the thinking, the, why is this, this, and why was I doing what I was doing? The psychology behind all of it, mm-hmm. the, 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 uh, polarity of life and death, good and evil, um, right and wrong the good, the bad, the angel on one shoulder, the demon on the other, the reptilian brain. And also there's a couple different parts of the brain, right? Like there's, there's a carnal mind that we all have. There's also a mind that wants to be creative and, and free flowing and, and that wants to set us free. And, and so I wanted to talk about all these kinds of things, but I wanted to do it from the lens of like the monster, me, Mm. the death aspect of life and like how you go from point A to point B or the reverse, how you go from life to death or how you go from death to life. Mm -hmm. And, and I wanted to kind of paint that picture in my work and also incorporate like the synchronicities, the numbers, the numerology that I was seeing at the time as well. When Mm -hmm. I first started painting, I started seeing the number 1111 everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is dumb. Like, And it just kept happening and happening and happening to where it was not coincidence anymore. It was a coincidence. It was, it was purposely done to, Mm -hmm. to wake me up to what I found after meditating on that for a little bit of time, uh, a couple months later, it was uh, a sign for me to wake up, to be more alert, to keep my eyes, you know, focused. Mm -hmm. Um, And I started incorporating these numbers into my, into my work because they, they had a lot of meaning uh, to the things that, that I was painting and the things that I was like talking about within that. And so 1111 is just symbol for people. Whenever they look at my paintings, I want them to wake up as well. Mm. My first show was called wake the sleepers. My second show was called breathe in Numa and Numa is mm-hmm. Greek for yep. spirit. That's right. And um, my third show was called into the light. And I'm going to be doing another solo show uh here may 20th which is in a like a week or two um 
And this one is going to be called Escape the Cube. And I put a lot of like symbols within my work that have to do with like the cube and like little skeletons inside of a cube that are holding a match. Mm. And it's the cube resembles a prism or the prison in, in the mind. Um, a box that you could put yourself in, a box that you could put God in of, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be stuck in this, this prison in my mind um, and this way of thinking, this lower realm of thinking, or I could open up the box and I could see the world completely differently. And so this, this whole show is called escape the cube because we do have prisons that we have to escape personal prisons, uh, prisons that uh, are, um, imprisoning all of us as a culture or uh, a world you know like there's so many different prisons that were that were being locked into and the funny thing is that whenever you unfold a cube you get a cross and it's so symbolic for you know christ came to set the captives free you know christ came to um to do away with sin and to give access to people to the kingdom of heaven and mm-hmm. so my whole I guess you could call it a ministry, but my whole purpose or reason for painting is to wake people up, is to set people mm-hmm. free from the captivities of their mind, the mental, um, the negative mental aspects that they could like carry on and, and show people that whether you're good, whether you're evil, whether you're doing right, whether you're doing wrong, there is still, you, you, you're the, you're the master of your sea. You're the one that's captaining mm-hmm. your ship. A lot of people, they're waiting for Jesus Christ to come back, but he's already here. Mm-hmm. He's living within all of us. He's That's, waiting for you to unlock him. I, I, I thought about that, that particular idea when you talked about unfolding the box and becoming a cross, because that's also something we're called to do as people of faith in, in Christ is to take up our own cross and, and really allow suffering, like all these things, these mistakes, these relapses, these like uh, uh, unknowing of what to do next, like embrace those and go, this is actually a call. This is a yeah. time for me to, to heed the call, to allow, to notice the symbols, to notice the signs and go like, help is around me. I can lean on this and begin to experience transformation in this. That's really cool, man. That's super cool. Yeah, so I, I definitely... That, that that's kind of my mission in, in the work that I do. And I want, I want people to see things, you know, through a, through a different lens than the lens that, you know, they've been looking through their entire yeah. lives, you know? Yeah. And, and, and another thing is that I want, I want people to understand that they don't have to be afraid to reinvent themselves, but to chase that, that calling that God yeah. has put within them. Yeah. And sometimes you don't even know what the heck it is. This this yeah. all kind of fell into my lap. And this might only be like a a momentary, you know, like journey with art. As much as I love it, you know, like I'm not going to put God in a box and like yeah. say like, oh, you have to do this. You have to do that. You have to do this and you have to do it this way. No, I'm just enjoying the ride right now. And to be honest, sometimes God will take you through like the darkness in order to yeah. show you something, to teach you, to teach you a lesson. and not necessarily he will do it to you, but like, he'll allow you to go ahead and, you know, create whatever it is that you want to create. Right. And there's, there's, um, there's consequences for our actions. The The Bible says in, what is it? Romans? No, it's a uh, Pro- Proverbs 18, 21. I believe that says life and de- life and death are found within the tongue. Those who love it will eat the fruit thereof. We have the ability to create life and to speak life into people's hearts, or we have yeah. the ability to speak death and create death in the people's lives. And the same exact thing with us. 
there's this old ancient like Japanese proverb that says, be careful what you say about yourself because the warrior inside does not know the difference. Mm. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't know, you know, the difference between what, what you're saying is if you're joking or not. And mm. so I like to, I like to see that the same exact way because the, the entire time that I was going through hell on earth and, you know, revisiting all these different things that I didn't want to revisit is because I had a certain language of, and a certain way that I was talking to myself. I was, I was always using language like, you're never going to be good enough. You're always going to be continue yeah. doing this. You're going to be yeah. stuck here forever. You're going to, yeah. and dude, it wasn't until like, I was like, bro, you're keeping yourself here that I was able to change up my language and be like, you know what? I'm going to be this kind of person. I'm going to be successful. I am going. And, and no matter how much, you know, life kept showing me that the opposite was true. It was, it was like I was, I kept planting these little seeds into the ground mm -hmm. and every single time I planted these seeds and I would water these seeds little by little, that little, that little, you know, seed turned into a little plant, into a little tree. And now I'm starting to see fruit from it. Why? Because I didn't give up on myself. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't stop talking positively about myself. Mm -hmm. I did not, I did not choose the darkness, but I kept choosing the light over and over again. And did I choose darkness along the path? Yes, I did. And I'm, I'm ashamed of it because that's not, but we're human. Right. And I don't, yeah. I, I don't want to choose the darkness anymore. That's, that's the part about like, you know, I guess, um, re, uh, recovery is that right. you want to have way more victories than you do defeats. Totally. Yeah. You're speaking to something in a way that Ron and I were talking about this earlier today. To me, when you're talking about the world kept showing you something different, even though you were saying the things, the way that I I have articulated that is that I have my subconscious or we have our subconscious and then we have our conscious mind, which is a lot smaller and has a lot less influence. And so one thing that I've been interested in is, well, if I'm dominated and, and guided and the creative force in my life is mostly my subconscious, how do I how do I change my life, you know, with my little conscious mind? And mm -hmm. I've come up with a few answers to that. And one of those answers, tra traumatic experiences can change you pretty dramatically. That can change your subconscious, but also just repetition, mindful, right. small mm -hmm. repetition over a long time. And mm -hmm. that's become, I mean, it's exactly what you just said. And then I just got back from Hawaii and I was staying with a friend of mine who's this old, older uh, lady who it doesn't uh, overthink things too much. She's intelligent, but she just doesn't overthink things too much. And she just goes, fake it till you make it. And I've always lo loathed so that true. statement, <laughs> but it's also exactly what I'm talking about right here. And I finally mm -hmm. linked to those things. Mm -hmm. So I've yep. kind of given myself permission recently to go, just put it on and say it. And over time, and with the intention of, I'm not just faking it, with the intention of meaning it and getting there little by little, it sounds like exactly what you did. Yeah, dude. It's so dope that you kind of made that connection because I see analogies like that all the time where it's, it's, it's a synchronicity. That's, that's really what it is. It's the universe or the world or God, like it's just showing you that there is meaning and reaffirming you and confirming everything that's, that's like the path that you're on so that you don't give up that you just keep going right. keep pushing yeah. keep trekking on um and and i liked what you said too about kind of like a traumatic experience because um 
I think it was like right after we had that conversation, I was like out hanging out with some friends and uh, we were drinking a couple of beers and we went to a barbecue and it was like four of us. And I was like, you know what, dude, like mind if I spend the night at your house? Like, I don't want to be driving my motorcycle back. You know, like I had a couple of beers, like, and he was like, yeah, sure. And, um, the party, we, we had a couple more beers and like, he started, he brought out some acid and he was like, yo, everybody wanted acid. And I'm like, oh, dude, I smoked weed before. Like I get, I get anxiety. I, I've had bad trips. Nah, I'm good. And, um, he just kept like kind of nudging and, and like peer pressuring, um, in, uh, in a sense. And he was just like, dude, it's going to open up your mind. It'll take your arts and levels. And I'm just like, he showed me what it was. It was like this little thing like this. And I'm like, oh, what is that going to do? Like, I was like, whatever, fine. Not even thinking straight. I had a couple of drinks and this is, this is kind of like, it goes back into like just the doing things that you probably would never do whenever you're like, had, had a couple yeah. many, uh, too many, too many drinks. And, um, man, I was in for a ride, dude, that, that trip, it started out good. And then all of a sudden it took a turn for the worst. And I wanted to go home. And my wife was in Massachusetts at the time at a birthday party for her cousin. And I should have been there, but I ended up taking off the weekend to like paint and ride my motorcycle. And I'm like, Oh shit, this is all coming back full circle again. Nah, this is sucks. And I'm like, I thought I was going to, I thought I was going to die. I was like, Oh my God, this is, this trip is never going to end, never going to end. And I gave, I gave up self, uh, my, my family to go be selfish with, you know, my motorcycle and I'm here taking acid and I'm going to die on the street corner and I can't even find my Uber. Um, <laughs> long story short is like, I was projecting a whole bunch of things on my yeah, friends totally. that were really, really deep within me. And I ended up making it home and like the trip ended up like being over and I was traumatized. But what it did is it set a whole bunch of things into perspective to me, uh, for me. I, uh, I believe that psychedelics can be like a, a part of healing and stuff. And I was doing a lot more research after it, but as bad as the trip was, it was actually really good for me because it yeah. really set a whole bunch of things into perspective. Like, yo, you've been doing good as a, as a human, as a husband, as a father, as all these things, but you're still dropping the ball a little bit. Like it's time to pick up, you know, yeah. a little bit more weight and to, and to correct course a little bit more. And it was very traumatic. And I think that I wouldn't have been able to see things a lot, you know, as clear in a, in a sober mind with all the distractions around me, if it wasn't for the psychedelic to kind of just like bah! grab me by the freaking you know, nose and pull me to where I needed to go essentially. But, um, yeah, I started doing a lot more research into psychedelics, my, magic mushrooms, um, you know, really low doses. And what they're finding is that it's helping people to break addictions, to, yeah. um, beat depression, to beat anxiety, to, to really like, you know, lift their spirits and to, um, set them free of a lot of like past traumas and a whole bunch of other things. So, um, I'm, I'm not like 100% for it right now for me, but I do know that there's a lot of benefits that can be had for it. So I'm keeping an open mind to it right now. I'm just kind of like chilling, having like a cute, a few drags of, you know, like the medicinal marijuana. I ended up getting my card, uh, seeing where that takes me, but it's just like anything, right? if you overdo it, it could be abusive. And so I'm not trying to overdo it with this yeah. whole thing. I'm trying to just let it, you know, like show me the things that it needs to show me and to, you know, bring forth healing. Not that I'm looking for, for it to do those kinds of things. Cause ultimately I'm the one that has to be doing those, but it's, it's showing me stuff in my times that I'm high. It's, it's showing me things that I need to fix in my sober life mm -hmm. to incorporate in my sober life. And it's super cool knowing that, I am 
trying to be the best person that I could possibly be. And I'm not taking life so seriously and I'm not beating myself up so much, you know, over my past mistakes and my past traumas, but I'm actually kind of living. And I'm like in the moment with my family, I'm in the moment with my painting, I'm in the moment with all these things. And I'm, you know, the world could end tomorrow. I could die tomorrow. All these things like that, that, you know, like people are scared of that. I'm scared of. It's but, interesting. Oh, sorry. But go but, ahead. Yeah. Keep going. But the cool thing is that I don't have to be in that mindset. Yeah. I'm kind of free from it. And it's awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. What were we going to say? I was just going to say, uh, um, since you were talking about, uh, not being a teetotaler. Yeah. Um, I wanted to share an experience Ron and I had recently and he called up one time and, uh, recently and just sounded really good and really present. And, um, and I was like, I wonder if he's got some marijuana in him. And I didn't know where you were with yeah. marijuana. Cause I know you've worked, uh, uh, you've worked massage that relationship. And I finally asked him at the end of the conversation, he said that he had, and that spawned us to talk about how marijuana, you know, can be such a positive influence in people's lives. Right. And it was really interesting to hear. And then since then, like I've, I've like experienced you a couple of times and it's, I don't really know your inner workings of your relationship where you're at with marijuana right now, but it certainly seems to be like a positive thing that you're you're doing and the what you just said with being present with your painting and with your family and stuff it's Mm -hmm. like that's exactly what i experienced with my friend here Mm -hmm. it was a completely positive thing like he didn't sound out of it it didn't sound fake there was continuity between him experiencing it and then the next day like there was a little bit you know no marijuana in him and we were continuing conversation the continued conversation had a little bit of the feel of the day before it just Mm -hmm. seems to be really nice, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting deal. I mean, I, I, I'm, I, I don't want to like put labels on myself, but I, I kind of keep everything, I'll, you know, my, my, I don't want to recreational jump into any of it. I'm not trying to get blasted on anything. Exactly. But it's been, it's been helpful. It's been super helpful. Like really, I think the interesting thing about it is like the breaks remain with, with marijuana, like the emotional breaks. Mm-hmm. And actually it's almost like the, the emotionally vulnerable, at least my, in my mind, I actually want to become more like attached emotionally and spiritually to myself. And so it feels like my roots kind of go deeper in that, in that world. It's a little hard to explain, but I also, that's what it seemed like. Though. Yeah. It seemed like that's a good uh, vi- visual. It, yeah. it seemed rooted. Yeah. You know, yeah. like really rooted yeah. in both thought and presence and emotion. And it was. And what, what's interesting about that, though, is like you can cross a threshold and then you're none of those things. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so you, it's really like, like you kind of, it, it's, you know, you mentioned psychedelics earlier and, the, and microdosing, things like that. I think that's, I think that's kind of like the, the secret to any of it. Right. Like, uh, you know, I'm not the kind of guy that, thinks that people should stop drinking or anything like that. But there's this, there is really a a lot of value in having um, limits to yourself and limits to what you're taking in and limits to what you're doing. And, And just like we wouldn't have somebody who's preparing to run, like they're just learning to run. We wouldn't make them go run a marathon. We wouldn't make them go do 10 miles. Like 
you know, hey, exactly. today's a today's a mile, and you're actually going to do a mile for a while, and and it's <laughs> and it's there's not a lot of um, uh, benefit into like beasting yourself every single time so that you can't recover. I know that's, that that metaphor true. doesn't totally work with with drugs and alcohol, but you know, there's a word. What is that word that I'm looking for? Uh, not limits, tolerance. But, Tolerance, something like that. Something that moderation. Moderation is the word. Moderation. Yeah, I'm actually leading a, a group of men on a, a psychedelic journey at the end of the summer. Specifically, yeah. what are you guys going to be doing? Mushrooms. Yeah, yeah, we'll be nice. uh, doing mushrooms and and holding space for guys uh, dosing for what, over what, two days. What what dosage? It depends on their weight. So the first gotcha. day, the first day is going to be a light dose and it's going to be a time for them to just feel the effects of it. A lot of these guys will have never done it before in their life. And then the next day we'll do a, a heavier dose, but not like what they would, what would be considered a hero's dose, but a large dose. So it's like a group of, it's a group of men that are looking to, I guess, like solve problems. Yeah. A lot of those things that you, you figure, up, figure you out, know, figure yeah. out, figure out like a lot about themselves, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah regrained a, a some sort of a ground yeah. in their life figure yeah. out you know what the heck is making them tick a certain way yeah the, the yeah. thing with psychedelics and mushrooms in particular is it, it brings you what you need and whether you yeah. want to like you're like i want to think about my mom issues today or i want to think about my dad issues and it's like it's not what's going to serve you it might but <laughs> yeah it's going to serve some other things up and and kind of like you had with acid like you yeah. it, Showing you some things in your life, and it, it'll do that. It's kind of amazing. I I um I never done mushrooms before. Actually, I did I did acid that one time, but like yeah. I used to smoke recreationally weed when I was when I was a kid, just for fun with all my buddies and stuff. Yeah. And that's that. I, I kind of was joking with my wife. I was like, "Isn't it funny how like God or I I, I kind of put the two and two together like comparisons." I'm like, when I was 17, God kind of like saved my life. And changed the course of my life yeah. through a terrible experience smoking weed. I'm like, wouldn't it be funny if like he kind of like saved my life again uh, through the partaking of more weed, but actually yeah. like doing it for the right reasons this time? I was like, listen, whenever because whenever I'm like smoking a little bit, just have like a, a little hit, I could get in deep conversation with my wife, and this is not typical for me. Like, yeah. I want to spend more time with her. I want to like communicate with her. I want to be present with her. I want to be present with my kids. I want, I want to do those things. And I'm starting to notice that I want to do them even more when I'm sober Yeah. and off of the drug. So it yeah. correlates, it, it yeah, relays yeah. into my sober life. And I'm like, all these experiences that I'm like learning and what, what my psyche, what, what I guess my higher self is showing me, yeah. God, if you want to call it that is it's showing me uh, this this version of myself that I want to be that I'm just too scared to, I guess, admit or whatever it is. And then I do that and then it kind of like relays into my sober life. And so it's kind of yeah. like a little wave that, that I ride. That's cool. um, but I, I also wanted to bring up something about uh, alcohol whenever you're mentioning mm. it, you know, yeah. earlier is that. I, I, I do know that, um, I do know that alcohol, you know, it's, it's a depressant, right. And whenever you drink, you get intoxicated, right. What's the opposite of intoxication while well, it's detoxifying your body. It's a poison. 
you're putting a poison into your body, you're putting a depressant into your body. And I was just kind of making like this association, you know, with it that, man, it's, it's one of those tricky little bastards that like you'd be riding that wave for so long and you don't even know why you're doing it. And, um, now that like, I, I'm like smoking weed, it's kind of funny because you, they call it, you know, like getting high or getting lifted, getting elevated, whatever it is. And I totally see the correlation between those two substances yeah. and me smoking weed right now. I don't even want to drink as much as I used to. I'll have like a drink yeah. or two, but like, I'd much rather just like take like a little puff and I won't, I, I don't need to have a drink. It's like, yeah. like, okay, like that's good enough for me. Like I'm getting like that, that, that fix that I need, but I'm also like working on problems yeah. in my head, problem yeah. solving solidly. Um, but I just kind of wanted to like toss that in there because, you know, the two of those, you know, I, I, I know them very well. Um, more so the alcohol, but I'm kind of, I'm kind of really glad that that chapter is slowing down in my life. Yeah. 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 Hey Ross, before this conversation winds down, I think we're pretty close to the yeah. time. I wanted to thank you for something because watching your, and I kind of voiced this to you the first time we talked, um, or I messaged it to you or something, but the, the way that your art is, is really inspiring to me. Um, both in its uh, the style that you're working in the subject matter, and then also, quick question: How long does it take you to do one of your paintings generally? Um, well, the process could be anywhere from like five to twenty hours. Yeah, per so piece. That's what it looks like to me, and I personally spend way too much time on my paintings. And I say too much time because there I generally paint uh, some sort of sunset and skyscape or a nebula or a galaxy. And it's really fun and interesting and, and things are coming out. Um, I'm, I'm proud of what they are. However, it just takes too much time and mm. it's not representative of of my psyche. It's more like something that is just really well, I don't really know what I'm saying there. I'll have to work that one out. But my point is, is that I would really like to have something in my life that was more episodic and more quick. Like I could do it faster and then do another mm. one. Less of my mind and more of just the impulse. And that's why I love, yeah, I love your story with your daughter and all that. Just the joy of it. And so, but I have like my own sort of commissions lined up and I just, I just can't get out of the style that I'm in right now. I just have to do mm. it until I'm done with the jobs that I have to do. And that's going to be kind of a while. And so I was talking with someone recently, telling them that, that I need this aspect of my life. I need to do something more repetitive and more quickly repetitive and something that's less uh, hyper crafting, you know, and controlling and detail oriented. And Ron and I are both writers and we are both in a writing group because we're both working on a book right now. And what happened out of this is because I kept thinking about you. It just hit me at the right time. It was one of those signs you cut, you know, just the look of your art. I was born down in Mexico. You have like a, a, a day of the dead feel to me, at least. I know mm -hmm. that's probably not your intention, but it just, that's the way it hits me. And so it just kept coming to my mind. And then we had a really nice talk that one time. And long story short, I was speaking to this one person about writing and I realized that every little part of a scene that I write, like the scene within a chapter, maybe there's five to 10 of them. Those take about four or five hours to do. 
after all is said and done. And the playfulness in them, the way I do it, can be very much like what's inspiring Mm -hmm. me. And I realized, oh, I don't have to do it through painting right now. I actually have an incredible Mm -hmm. opportunity to do it through writing. Yeah. Uh, Thank you for that. You played a little part in that realization. Yeah. I mean, that's super awesome, right? Like, I'm right now, I'm writing. I have a few children's books that I'm that I'm trying to get off the ground. And um, one of them in particular is a completely different style of what I was doing with, I guess, my traditional art on canvas. I kind of have like a the leather jackets that I do as well that kind of take on their own little animal only because they're a leather mm-hmm. jacket. But um, yeah, I mean, I would just say, you know, if it, if it makes you happy, do it. You know, it doesn't matter how long it takes you because there's certain things that I do that I'm super meticulous with in certain paintings and they, they could take me a a really long time. Um, but that's not always the goal. That's not always the objective. Sometimes, sometimes I get an idea that's like super simple. Like I remember when I came up with like a signature that I have right now, which is, um, a skull on a yellow background with a black dash and a black dash and a happy, like it's a smiley face over a skull. And to me, what that symbolizes, and it's super easy to do, and I, I've never seen anybody do it before, um, which is why I call it my signature, is because it's the juxtaposition of both those worlds, like the good and the evil, the, you know, the trying to fake it till you make, till you make it, right? Like putting on that mask and, you know, doesn't matter how much bullshit is going on in your life, you put on a smile. You're going to change the course of your entire day. You will. Whenever you smile at somebody or say hi to somebody, you change the course. You change the whole language, bro. And and it doesn't matter how much you think of like an asshole you are, you're this or you're that. That might be true, but it all changes whenever you put a smile on. So just do it, man. However, however long it takes you to do it, do it. I love it. I love it. That's super good. That's good. Ross, thank you so much for joining us, dude. Um, where can people find you? How can they find your art and follow you and all that stuff? Yeah. So right now, um, it's mainly my Instagram, which is at Ross Pino 88, or you could go on my website, which is Ross Um, yeah, that's kind of all I really follow up with. Cool. I, I try not to have like so many different avenues, you know, I try yeah, to keep it yeah. simple and Instagram is one of the best places to go, you know, cool. for business or whatever to build yourself up. Nice man, dude. You're, you're the real Thank deal, you. dude. I appreciate your story. Yeah. I really appreciate your vulnerability. Like we men, uh, I mean, all people need to hear this, but men in particular, we learn to be men from uh, the story and the power of other men and hearing and sharing each other's stories. So, uh, dude, you you didn't hold back. You gave us the real the real dirt, and that's powerful yeah. to me personally. And I know someone else will be affected that positively. I appreciate that, dude. Thank yeah. you a lot. Well, I agree, man. You know, and thank you for letting me have this opportunity. And I told myself a long time ago that. Um, that if I was ever given the opportunity to do something like this, I'm not going to hold back, you know, um, I might not go into like heavy detail, but I'm not going <laughs> to hold back about like some of the, some of the yeah. things that, you know, went on in my life. And because the way that I learned to, to, I guess, deal with my own stuff was basically what you just said is like hearing other people's hash out their own problems yeah. and talk about it on podcasts or YouTube or whatever. Every single time that I'm having an anxiety attack or doing some stupid shit, go to YouTube right away. It's like, 
okay, somebody else is dealing with, oh, I'm not the first one. Yeah, like, okay, yeah, cool. Right. Now I have somebody to hear their perspective. But um, yeah, thank you guys so much for yeah. having me. And if you're going to do that mushroom trip, uh, let me know what the what the details all are and the dates. I would love to try to come check it out. It sounds like right it's on, man. a pretty awesome time. Yeah, it'd be good to have some face-to-face time with you, dude. Walk, walk with yeah. you through that. All right, take care. Appreciate you, my yeah. friend. All Adios, right, guys. Buddy. See you take later. Take it easy. Bye. finished a podcast episode with Ross Pino, a New York-based, Queens-based uh, artist and painter, um, general badass, cool guy, who's really, I think the most badass thing about him is his vulnerability that he's leading out in around his life, his struggles with his past, with his family of origin, uh, parents, drug, drug and alcohol addicts, uh, his own journey through that, those, his struggles with that, his own journey into uh, finding a lot of like ego trappings through success that he had through yeah. acting and modeling. He was an insanely good looking guy. <laughs> and then, uh, and then his journey into like finding his real self and in, in him using art as a way to talk about that transformation. Yeah. And just that his statement of purpose is to help people with mental health issues through art, you know, like I think that, is I'm hearing that more and more. It's not as much, maybe there's a new paradigm ha- occurring, which yeah. is it's not as much about becoming an incredible artist, talent, skill, production-wise, but what you're doing with that. And that so many people seem to be valuing mental health uh, through whatever they're doing. Yeah. It just warms my heart. And a guy like that with his past and you know, he's got decades ahead of him and his art. Yeah, I just, I loved everything about it. It was really good. I think that, I think what is powerful about him advocating for mental health through this, his medium in particular, is it's an invitation for us all to find our bliss, like uh, Joseph Campbell would say, follow our bliss, find our bliss, because it's that thing that feels detached from us and we don't feel worthy of it, whether it's art or music or being with our kids, it doesn't really matter what it is. Um, but it really is a pathway into wholeness. Well, and that's the thing about him, you know, we didn't get into the actual details of, of his, uh, situation of his transition from being a successful uh, actor and model into art, but he literally was having, as I understand it, having Uh, some sort of issue with this is not fulfilling. I'm kind of becoming an asshole. Yeah. Um, I think he used the word. I don't know if he used the word asshole. Sorry, (laughs) Ross. Uh, But I trust that he knows what I mean. Yeah. Um, And then for by hook or by crook, he just ended up sitting down with his daughter and painting, like just as a fun thing to do with his daughter. But he said that the first time he picked that paint uh, can up, that he didn't want to put it down. And so Mm -hmm. he's sitting there painting his daughter's painting he only knows how to paint skulls so he's drawing and painting skulls and she's doing rainbows and unicorns and then she uh at some point in time like starts drawing them on his thing and then he said that it was like yeah you kind of in his head you kind of just like ruined my thing but then he's like smart and he cut his sign you know and he saw saw that the juxtaposition between the darkness that he was putting down and the lightness that his child was and it's literally him in a dark place and the light lightness of his child 
manifesting and getting focused on a piece of, on the same piece of paper, you know, that he recognized that that's what was happening from the, the higher perspective yeah, right. was like that type of skill to be able to see when life is kind of, you know, it's giving you the thing that you want um, is I think one of the, the most uh, valuable skills out there. And then what happens that turns into a more lucrative career as he puts his like adult mind on top of it, yeah. hones it, adds production to it. Um, and now he's a different person. Totally. And he's, he's embraced the juxtaposition. He's embraced the, the light and the dark together. He's holding them together yeah. closely, celebrating them both. Like, you know, Rainier Wilde would say, or one of our past guests who talked about the shadow, like he's really embracing the shadow part of himself and the shadow part of the human experience. Ross is. Yeah. And his art. Sorry. No, and 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 I think that's why it's being celebrated, being collected. I mean, he's got collectors. Guys are really like going after his stuff yeah. because it's it speaks to that part of us. They're like, oh, I'm both, I'm both of these things. I'm all of these things. And and until we can admit that to ourselves, until we can really own that part of ourselves that I am both dark, I am both light, and not be afraid of those two things, or not be afraid of the darkness in particular. Like we're always going to feel that kind of discontent, the disconnection in our life. And I think that's why people love his work so much. Yeah. And it's, you know, for people out there like who are wanting that, cause that's easy to say, right. Yeah. But how do you do that? And to do that through an art, you know, it's like, you kind of have to have, you don't have to have a skill level. I don't believe that, but you certainly have to sit down and do it and be free enough somehow with your mind through whatever s- skill level you have, even if it's very small to get something that is outside of yourself, whether mm-hmm. it's you're, you're doing music or uh, writing or art or uh, painting or drawing, it can be intimidating. And I am intimidated by it. Like it can be intimidating to be honest um, and get that pipe kind of open and the rust yeah. off and flowing. And I have a friend of mine who I saw his perfect example of this. He'd mm-hmm. never drawn a thing in his life. Mm-hmm. But he's very open mm. with his with who he is, yeah. you know, and he's a musician, mm. right? But he picked up a pencil one time and started drawing, just decided to do a little comic a day. He's terrible, technical drawing. Yeah, yeah. But his stuff is genius. It's wow. honest. It's him put on the page. It's through a skill level that's very low. But then because it's so honest, that also has its yeah. own charm, almost yeah. like Gary Larson's uh, Far Side. Yeah, like, yeah. It's a little bit like that. Yeah. And I just think that, you know, what Ross is inspiring me to do is I have a, I have a totally different painting style. It's really realistic and it's driving me nuts. You know, Mm. I just want to do more like what he does. I just want to be able to create something in five to 20 hours, which might sound like a lot, but you can spend 300 hours on a painting, you know, depending on how big and how detailed. And, and, and I have done that. And I just, I need to take a bunch of my art materials and start burning them up. I have so many canvases and so many paints. I just want to do something that's that's less realistic and more repetitive so I can just let it start flowing. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up writing in that because I think that's also a really accessible thing. So during the episode previous to our conversation here, we were talking about these short, short jaunts you can take into creativity, short jaunts, shorter jaunts you can take into following your bliss. And I think writing is also a really accessible thing and people can do it. I mean, I've had, I've had writing sessions on a, 
piece of paper and a pencil out in the wilderness. Yeah. I've had them on my phone, you know, in hammocks, like just being able to type out on the notepad and like just giving yourself the, the, the pleasure of carrying a notebook around or something like that is also super good. And just getting the ball rolling too, you know, cause that can be really unfulfilling yeah. when the beginning, when you like, like if you're going to pick up a guitar, right. Yeah. Uh, every once in a while, I'll switch my guitar to the other side and play it left-handed. What? Well, I'm not like learning, yet, <laughs> but I'll just do it to remind myself how fucking hard it is yeah. to learn guitar, oh you know? Gosh. So you switch it over and then you yeah. go, oh yeah, that's what it was like to be a beginner. This is awful. <laughs> but it's like just getting through that, getting through yeah. putting words together on a page, getting through getting something on a, a canvas or something. And just, I think it's really important personally to not expect you know, like what my friend did with his uh, little cartoons. Right. They were instantly satisfying right. to him. Right. Some people just have it. But to like, if maybe a person can choose uh, a craft through which they're just going to like, I'm going to get good enough at this to express myself. I had a therapist who was having me draw, use drawing as like an in-between in-between and I and I ended up doing some self-portraits that I really liked really? like I really really liked them a lot they're not good but I but I felt like I captured what I was trying to capture and do yeah, I mean, what does good mean are they honest are they interesting well but good is my mother is going that doesn't look like you and I'm like oh yeah that's great it's awesome I, I love that he did that it's a it's like something that I, I need in my life yeah do deeply is and because it's different with writing you know and when you do do something on a canvas um, I, I knew as soon as I saw his work, I was like, I need to change up my, you know, over mm. time and mm. start to, I need to change my style. It's just, I had that call. You know? Yeah. Jealousy is usually a call to action in me. Mm. And I just, I saw his work and I was like, kind of felt jealous about it. And I, I realized I, I need to do that. That's and, cool. Yeah. That's cool. Well, I'm glad you got to join me, uh, here in the studio. In the studio. <laughs> studio. I wish you guys could see this cause it's actually a closet. That I've turned into, you can't see it this way, but it's actually like a uh, my desk, and then this is my entryway. This is my front door over here. <laughs> it's a hallway studio. and a closet, and the uh, the dog was spread eagle in the corner for most of the conversation, <laughs> like with his legs kicked up in the corner. It's like, it's like yeah. barking in his dreams. Yeah, totally, totally. That's I'm glad cool. you're here. Uh, next episode that we've got coming is uh, Brandon Perkins with High Church Podcast which is a very interesting because we were talking about on this podcast, this episode today with Ross, kind of the higher level of consciousness that, that marijuana can bring to you if you're open to it. I hope to get into some of that today with uh, Brandon Perkins as we yeah. interview him later on. Actually, that brings up another little short part I wanted to call yeah. attention to, which is his uh, Ross's experience um, with Christianity. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there who bristle at, people speaking uh, about their uh, religion and particularly if that's Christianity. And I understand that I have the same experience. I am not Christian. Uh, I do appreciate the way he talks about it. He sounds like he owns his faith. He's not ashamed about it. Um, And he also links it and humbles, I would say humbles, not maybe not humbles himself. That's not a great way to say it, but he pays uh he uh, he honors that there are other ways 
I would think. Yeah. Uh, Ross, I, I heard him yeah, honoring yeah, that definitely. there are other ways to look at things. You know, when he says like things like you can call it God, you can call it universe. You don't mm-hmm. hear Christians say that very often. Yeah. And I was very grateful for that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I thought so too. I thought that was good. I've, I've had to do similar in my life because I've just realized like, and, and, and I learned this actually in AA, it was, I would, I would go to a meeting and, you know, my whole cultural upbringing around Christianity was we have the keys to the kingdom. These are it. This is all you got to get into wholeness, to get into the, the, the good part of life. And then I'd go to an AA meeting and I'd see people. I'll, get, I'll pick on one person in particular, Tina, this like 65-year-old transvestite who has been a, an addict their whole life and has gone through unimaginable stuff, who would never say they believe in God in the normal circumstance say, I have found a higher power. I've asked them for help. And then to actually see Tina's life transform with sobriety and transform with healing and transform into newness. Like, that's why I was like, oh, we don't have the monopoly on prayer or asking for help and then getting help. Like things actually change for the better. And I saw that over and over again in all kinds of different circumstances uh, within the groups of sobriety. And, and I think Ross is pointing that out too. Like, like you ask for help, help's going to come. You see, you see the signs and you're ready to see the signs and ready to take action around it. Like yeah. things move pretty rapidly. Well, it's like you're saying, we were talking about earlier too, if you, and I don't know this, like, I don't know that I know anything, but I, I have been experiencing yeah. success with this and failure when I don't follow it. But like, if you lean on life, it leans back. You, you ever fucked with cornstarch? and water yeah yeah it makes that uh the, the newtonian fluids is what they call it is it yeah okay that always reminds me of what we're talking about because yeah. if you like hit your hand really hard it's hard but if yeah. you like slowly sink it in yeah. it's soft and i kind of feel like you know that little bit can be a metaphor for all kinds of stuff but i do feel like there's a little bit if you if you lean on life you know and trust it more it will lean back you know and support you you know you said that in a men's group um you said that in a men's group a Which few weeks ago. About fail at all the time. <laughs> you said that in a men's group a few weeks ago, and I, at the time I was in Costa Rica, but last week in Costa Rica on one of the best surf beaches in the world that <laughs> these people come to. It's, these people being surf, real surfers, <laughs> and and I remember, and I walked. I would walk every morning from five in the morning to like eight in the morning, just walking, walking, walking on the beach. And I thought about that a lot, watching the water, because it's the same thing. Like you can get in the water. And it can blow over you. It can just destroy you. Get smashed into the into the sand. You can duck under it and avoid it, or you can decide to harness it and press against it a little bit with a surfboard or your body or boogie board. And then that thing's going to take you, and you're going to like ride that energy. And I thought about that a lot, man. That's like that is God in the universe, like always there, constantly there. It never goes away. The waves are always going in and out. There's cycles of them. Just waiting for you, yeah. waiting for you to decide, do you want this or not? And a lot of that, like waiting for you, like to do what, you know, is, is, is cutting for sign yeah. in my life. It's literally taking, I mean, and again, I'm not a master at this, but it does work for me. Taking a creative mindset toward the things that happen in your, in one's life and then seeing how, and then you being, you being the force that decides to make, decides how they are. Yeah. how they affect your life and i i do know that like re- very recently i've experienced something that's really really hard you know totally my fault and just like like soul crushingly you know challenging and 
sad. Mm. And at the same time, you know, as the emotions are going, I still like kind of lay it at some point in time, you know, it's, it's laid out in my like mind on a piece of paper, uh, all of the things that are happening. And then how can these, how can these, well, first of all, are these something that are saying something to me that I need to know that will hopefully have them not happen again. And then another way is like, how can I use this to be positive? There's, those are two different things, but it's legit, man. Super legit. Dude. Thanks for joining me today. I'm glad to see you in person. Thanks everybody for joining us. Coming for sign Ross Pino. See you next time. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.